Welcome to the Your Village podcast, Parenting Beyond Discipline. Your Village is the most comprehensive site for evidence-based parenting classes available on demand at yourvillageonline.com. Our 50 plus classes give parents the foundation, steps, and tools for creating strong, healthy relationships with their children, resulting in responsible, cooperative, happy, and successful children and families. My goal is to help parents support their children in finding and reaching their own unique potential. The podcast is a place to learn about all things parenting and get your questions answered. I'm your village founder and your host, Erin Royer. Hello, everyone, and happy spring. If you're up north with us, happy fall. If you're down south. So the new class, Mindfulness for Kids, is going up today. We're very excited. If you're on the newsletter or you're a member, you will get an announcement about that. So I want to get to the question today. Another great question. The question is about well, parental guilt. So it's mom guilt, but dads have guilt too. And um, I know us moms feel a lot of guilt that's just built into, still into the way that we parent these days. But I know dads experience a lot of guilt and I'm sure there will be more and more shared parenting guilt as we evolve in our parenting and it becomes more and more equal and dads are um, doing more and more, which they definitely are these days. And I'm sure there's a lot of guilt on both sides. So I think that's a great topic we all can relate to, that guilt. Am I doing enough? Am I doing too much? Am I doing too much sometimes and not enough other times? So then um, after we go through this question, talk about that a little bit, I want to share a few challenges that I'm dealing with right now with my own kids. Of course, not my general challenges. <laughs> so we'll talk about that so you can hear some of the challenges that we have in our house with three tweens. Okay, so Barbara wrote in and she said, Hi, Amy and Erin. I can't tell you how much I enjoy listening to your podcast and have used a lot of your advice since I started listening a few years ago. I'm a single mother of a five and a half year old girl, Olivia. She started in person kindergarten twice a week and I'm trying my best to keep her engaged during the days she is at home with me while I'm working. Like a lot of children, she's missing her preschool and the regular play dates. We just moved to the same neighborhood as my sister so she sees her two cousins very often. But I have a hard time letting go of the guilt that I'm all she has. Sure enough, the asking for another sibling has begun and I feel that I may be on the overindulgent side of parenting always wanting to make Olivia happy. Since her dad and I split about two years ago, it's been nothing but constant change for her. I'm proud of where we are now, as her dad leaving when she was three was very traumatic for her. She is a very strong-willed girl, and I do not like to play the single parent card, but it can be pretty exhausting at times, making sure I'm present for her and giving her what she needs. People think having one child is easy, but I often feel that being present physically and mentally for one can be more work than you'd think. She goes to her dad's every other weekend, and she's involved in Girl Scouts, dance, and gymnastics. Statistics of a child raised by a single parent are frightening, and I'm doing my best to balance out the discipline while keeping her happy and engaged all day long. I haven't heard anything about single parenting, so I'm just reaching out to see if you have any advice for me. I'd love to let go of some of this guilt and use the hand I've been dealt to our advantage, making our two-person family a powerhouse. Thanks for everything, Barbara. Okay, so um, 
You know, I don't talk about single parenting a lot. We don't get a lot of questions about it. And this is a very common family structure these days. As you all probably know, if you've been listening for any amount of time, you know, we also did separate um, a year ago legally. Uh, It was final. And we had decided before that we had told our kids Now we are still co-parenting, still in the same household, but this is about to change for us. So... You know, I haven't fully experienced single parenting yet, but we will be. This is a change coming in our house. And there is a lot of guilt that goes along with that. But there's a lot of guilt that goes along with parenting in a lot of ways. So I think this can relate to a lot of parents because, you know, we all have something where we feel like I said earlier, like we might be doing too much or we might be doing too little. And we we really um, experience that guilt. So I'm going to talk about being the best parent we can from where we're coming from, um, So I did a podcast about this, and I think that was last summer. And the information to me, the research, was such a relief. And I'm sure that there are other single and or divorced parents that's definitely worth repeating this research. So I'm going to cover that first. Then I'm going to talk about the best job we can do as parents. The pieces of being the best parent we can be that that entails, regardless of our family structure, regardless of the struggles that we have and the challenges that we have to do everything 100% the way that we would love to be able to do it. We just can't, no matter what our household structure is. So if we can keep these two pieces in mind as we work through our daily stuff of our own stuff, with our partner, without a partner, with our kids, with the pandemic, with how things are changing. So um, I'm going to cover that also. And then again, talk about some of the struggles we're having. And I had some guilt about some stuff that I've been dealing with with my kids lately too. So I dug into some research, and this is from the last podcast. I'm going to repeat this. So if you listen to that one, this is going to be a repeat, um, this first part here. But I was really relieved to find that, and it was funny because I expected it, because, um, you know, those studies, a lot of these are older. They're from the 80s and the 90s. They were very poorly designed at best. They were biased studies at worst, and they were biased studies. You know, scientists aren't supposed to be biased, but many times they are. They go into their research with a bias and they'll set up a study and, you know, in the 80s and 90s, you know, we all believed that divorce was just the worst thing in the world for our children. And so these studies got set up that way and um, and they were run that way. So, you know, it, all, it seemed like they wanted to prove that staying in a marriage was by far the better option than divorce. And so you know, we've come to find that that just is not the case. So I'm going to talk about the poor design of the studies in a moment. But, you know, they showed that the negative effects after negative effect, mental health effects on children into their adulthood, depression, anxiety, behavioral issues, high school dropout rates, college graduation rates, to the divorce rates in their own future marriages were all negative and correlated to parents divorcing. What was missing from these studies was a couple things. Effects on children whose parents stayed unhappily married. Effects on children whose parents maintained a low conflict relationship, who remained connected and supportive of their children, who maintained healthy boundaries with their children, um, and were able to maintain a relatively consistent lifestyle parenting throughout the divorce process, regardless of the relationship with their ex. So the good news is, that newer research does absolutely support this. It shows that 
Of course, divorce affects most children in the short run, just like it does us adults. But research also shows and suggests that kids recover rapidly after the initial shock and that most children from divorced families also do equally as well in the long term. So there was a quantitative review of the literature in 2001 by Paul R. Amato, is a sociologist. He was at Pennsylvania State University. He examined the possible effects on children several years after a divorce. The studies compared children of married parents with those who experienced a divorce at different ages. The researchers then followed up with the kids throughout childhood and into adolescence, addressing their academic achievement, their emotional and behavioral problems, any delinquency, self-concept issues, and social relationships. On average, the studies found only a very small difference on all these measures between children of divorced parents and those from intact families. What research has found that actually affects children are four key factors. If there's high conflict during and after the divorce, a loss of socioeconomic status that follows divorce. So if you know, you're living at a certain socioeconomic status when you're married and then you get divorced and they're, because you're splitting households, you're running two households, sometimes that can affect your socioeconomic status. And so then if there's a, a significant difference after divorce, that can affect kids. Also, the parental mental health and quality of parenting, which can decline in some cases for different reasons, including one or both parents working more to make up financial strain, as well as parental mental health. If the, one of the parents is really struggling with their mental health, if they're deeply depressed and anxious and really struggling after a divorce, of course, this is going to affect the children. Now you want to think about what if one of the parents had stayed in the marriage and they were mentally depressed, anxious, and dealing with that, that was going to affect the children as well. So the mental strain, whether you're married or divorced, is really what's affecting the child, not the divorce itself. So I want to dig into each of these, starting with parental conflict. So research has found that that's the biggest factor affecting children's mental health is the amount of conflict between the parents either during the divorce process, after the divorce process, or both. And this makes sense. If every time a child switches from one parent's home to another, there's conflict, there's animosity, coldness, tension, they're going to experience that. So, you know, if parents can really work to just make this as amicable as possible, you don't have to love each other, you don't even have to like each other. If you can work through that, that's great. But, you know, if you can just kind of get through it, be kind and, if, you know, if you have nothing nice to say, don't say it kind of thing um, and just do your best to really work through those tensions you have on your own with your therapist, with your friends outside, away from your children and just maintain civility. This will be the most positive experience for your children. If you can build a friendship, if you can build some connection, even better. Research where this was not taken into account, the level of conflict between parents, it began to appear that seeing the other parent, usually the dad, since moms tend to get the primary custody when these studies were done, but even still today, the research showed seeing the other parent was more often a detriment, but it was because of the tension and the conflict, not because the non-custodial parent, again, the dad, wasn't a positive influence, had nothing to do with that. It's because there's conflict every time they get traded back and forth. And it reflects poorly in research on the relationship with the dad, what it was showing on paper, which was absolutely untrue. 
Okay, the early research completely missed this, and it drew an outright incorrect and harmful conclusion. What kids need is two mature, supportive parents, if they're there. What I'm saying is they were in a household with two parents, and then there's a divorce. They need to keep those two mature, supportive parents. The better we can work together through and after the divorce process, the better it will be for our children. So this is why I have the Co-Parenting Through Divorce series. And I really go into detail about the process of doing this hard work before, during, and after the divorce process, working through our feelings, releasing blame, shame, anger, resentment, and more for ourselves, to our ex, our soon-to-be ex, the healthiest path forward, apart, but still together. We're separate, but still a family. That's also the reason why, and luckily I was able to have this type of relationship with my ex, that we are co-parenting together because socioeconomically, I don't want to affect the kids. If I had moved out and started a separate household and gotten child support and um, an alimony and that type of thing, we both would have had a, um, a dip in our socioeconomic status. So we had decided we will stay together. We will stay in the same household. We don't have to tell the kids we can't go on vacation. We can't go out to dinner. You can't do your sports. You can't do this. You can't do that because we can't afford it. I didn't want to have to do that to them. And so we have been able to make this work for us. And we're very lucky. We're both able to work together to get along. We're still friends. That is rare. Um, but we're very lucky and very happy, and that has worked out really well for us. So when you can do that and work together, or you're able to maintain some level of the same socioeconomic status, that is the other area that can affect kids. And so, you know, figuring out a way to work that out and make it as less of a bump as possible definitely will help the process as well. So if you are a single parent, divorced parent going through the process and you want to hear more, I do have a full episode really going digging deep into this topic. It's episode number 201, dealing with parental guilt. So definitely go back and check out that episode. But I want to dig more into Barbara's question and talk about these two pieces that we really need to bring to the table, um, regardless of our parenting structure, our family structure. Um, And so I want to have some time for that and also to talk about some of my own parental guilt that I have been working with uh, lately and some of the struggles in our house. Um, And we will get to those right after a word from our sponsors. To me, there is nothing more important than my family's health and well-being. We all know the quality of the air in our home is important. But did you know indoor air quality can be up to 100 times dirtier than outdoor air? I've got to tell you about Puro Air. In 30 minutes, this device will remove allergens, dust, smoke, dander, and gases from the room. Puro Air uses a stronger filter called a HEPA-14 that filters pollutants at a microscopic level and is backed by scientists from Harvard and MIT. In laboratory studies, users saw noticeably cleaner air in just 30 minutes. When it comes to babies and children, there's nothing worse than dealing with a cranky baby or child who can't sleep because of congestion. Air purifiers can help reduce congestion and improve immune system function to fight those winter colds and flus. I use my Puro Air purifiers to clean the air in my home, especially in our bedrooms while we sleep. It has a quiet, relaxing hum and cleans the air from pet dander, allergens, viruses, dust, mold, odors, and contaminants. It has four levels, low, medium, high, and sleep and four different timer options so you can customize it to your home and your needs. Check out Puro Air at getpuroair.com. That's G-E-T, 
P-U-R-O-A-I-R.com. Puro Air is the only air filter that uses a HIPAA 14 filter. That's getpuroair.com. Hey, Parenting Beyond Discipline listeners. Ready to create a home that fosters love, warmth, and style? Look no further than Home Threads, your partner in crafting a nurturing environment. At HomeThreads.com, explore a thoughtfully curated collection of furniture designed for families who believe in positive parenting. From cozy reading nooks to durable playroom essentials, our pieces are crafted to enhance your parenting journey. Home Threads has an incredible selection of furniture, decor, and accessories like throw pillows, blankets to snuggle under for family movie nights, or reading time that helps you create the warm, cozy home that is the foundation for happy family memories. I love all the great pieces I've gotten from Home Threads to finish the look in my home. Gorgeous yet durable and cozy accent throw pillows, blankets, and some really cute wall decor. I have an ocean theme throughout my downstairs, so I got a couple of really great wall pieces to finish that look. And some picture frames for the family photos. Visit homethreads.com parenting today and get a code for 15% off your order. That's homethreads.com parenting to get your code for 15% off your order because great parenting deserves a great home. Home Threads, love where you live. Now that we're back after the break, I'm going to talk about these two pieces of parenting that are just really important to remember, keep in mind as we move through our day-to-day interactions with our kids when we're dealing with some of this parental guilt that is very common. The first thing is the love and connection, the love, the connection, the kindness, the support that we are building, that really strong foundation for a strong relationship with our kids. If you're doing that, if you're giving this, you're doing a bang up job. This is honestly the first and most important thing we do as parents. They need to know we are there for them through their ups and their downs, that we are excited for them, we're proud of them to guide them, to teach them through the fun times, the not-so-fun times, to support them through their tough emotions, to teach them about emotions. We are there for them. They just need to know that, that we love them, we care for them, even when they're struggling, even when they're maybe not behaving so perfectly. Doesn't mean we allow it completely to, um, you know, allow them to just behave terribly, but it does mean that We set the boundaries, but they know that we're there, that we love them and support them, and it doesn't change how we feel about them, but that we just have some things to work on. That's number one. If you're doing that, then I want you to really relieve that guilt of you're not doing enough. Um, You know, we're all struggling right now. We're all doing this part-time school thing. We're all trying to work. I am not there for my kids as much as I would like to be for their schooling process. Um, I have a sixth grader who has really struggled with this middle school thing and doing it online. And I'm really trying to help manage him through that. But I also have my own work to do, you know, and my own money to make and my own process that I'm really working on as I've shared to create the second household. And then there's some guilt about that because of the divorce. That's why we need the second household. But, you know, this is something that I need to do too, for me, for them, for all of you. It, it, makes me feel um, like I have something to give to the world, like I have something to offer the world. Um, I know that I'm supporting parents. I know that I'm giving back to um, society, to the world, and that's important to me. And and it helps me feel um, 
It helps my mood, makes me feel happier, which makes me a better parent. And so there's just this balance that we all have to do. So I give the love, I give the connection, you know, I check in, I find out that he's falling behind in some stuff. He's not understanding the expectations, mostly in the humanities. It's just not his thing. And then I help him get back on track and then I kind of let it go and then he slides again. So it's just this process, but we're all dealing with some of that. There is just this guilt that comes up that am I doing enough in this area? But if you're doing the love, you're doing the connection, you're there to support them, you're teaching, you're reading, you're snuggling, you're you know cooking, we're doing a lot for them, we're really doing that love and connection. We're teaching them life skills, which leads me right to the second piece they need from us. The second thing they need from us is opportunity. They need us to provide opportunity. This is a big one, covers a whole rest of the parenting gamut. So this is encompassing a lot of different things. They need opportunity to learn all skills in life that they will need for their best chances of success and happiness. That means emotionally. They need the opportunity to grow emotionally. They need us to help them learn to manage their emotions and share them appropriately. They need to learn to cope with life's ups and downs, which means in order to do this, they need the opportunity to experience some difficulties and work through it. We don't do them any favors when we bail them out or make things easier in the short term. We only make it harder in the long term, not just for them, but for us. It's hard to see them really falling apart over something that they probably should be able to handle. So helping them learn to recognize, to cope, to bounce back from these challenges, life's upsets, while we're still there to guide them through, it's much easier for them and for us than once they're out on their own. Once they're out on their own and they're in college, if they just don't have those coping skills, it has got to be really difficult to see your child flailing in life. So the opportunity to learn these life skills, we're talking about starting with some basics in preschool of dressing and morning routines to dealing with those hard emotions, taking on more and more responsibilities as they age, responsibilities over their homework process and their school process and how they reach out to their teachers and how they plan their homework, us being there to scaffold, to support them where they need it, backing off where they don't, giving them some opportunity to get frustrated, to try to learn, and then kind of come in and support them where they need it. So that by the time they are teens, they are able to pretty much manage their own daily life and weekly schedules, breakfast and lunch, planning and cooking some dinners, understanding the basics of budgeting and car maintenance, friendships, relationships, professional relationships with their teachers, the academics. And I cover all this in raising responsible kids, what you can do by age, what they should be able to starting to work on at each age. Those are really important. That is our second really big job as parents is helping raise responsible kids. So if we feel like we're falling short in some areas, whether it's because we've had an illness, we're a single parent, um, we're working from home, we have a pandemic, we're working parents, whatever this is, we have someone else in our family who relies on us. Maybe we have our own parents or grandparents that we also have as a responsibility who are aging. We all have different reasons and stories and responsibilities that don't always allow us to give 100% all the time to our kids. And that's okay. This is life and we've got to balance it and they have to learn to help work through all of this and support themselves and so that we can be free to do some of those other things that are just part of life. And they learn that from us. So we give the best we can 
in both of the areas of love and connection and providing them opportunities and trying not to let them go too far down the rabbit hole, right, with their emotions. But it happens. And sometimes we have to let them work through it and move their way out. We want to try not to make up for our shortcomings. I put that in quotes, our shortcomings, because it may not really be much of a shortcoming. It is life in what we think they should have by robbing them of opportunities to become more capable, responsible young people. I want to share also just really quickly, because it kind of goes back to the love and connection piece. And I've talked about this before, I'm not going into too much detail, because I'm going to talk about some of my own parenting guilt that I've had. But, um, you know, I had a very difficult relationship with my mother. Um, the love and connection was just not there. There was just not that support piece. It was a very contentious relationship from the very beginning. My very first memory was a very traumatic one of her screaming at me, yelling at me, um, you know, and breaking my toys. Like it just um, was not a good relationship. And I'm sure that she did things and, and not I'm sure, I know she did things that were loving and caring, but there was so much trauma and abuse that came along with it that it undermined the loving and caring things that she did do. And so I say this as a, as an important piece of the relationship. Um, you know, I, I just, I didn't have the love. I didn't have the support. I couldn't, didn't feel like I could go to her with struggles or problems. Um, she just couldn't be bothered with it. And so if you're, if you have this love and connection piece, if you are supporting your kids and you are helping them work through their emotions, it's, you know, and you're letting them, you know, letting them go to work through their emotions is a perfectly loving thing to do. You're giving them an opportunity to do that. Um, it's very different than trauma and abuse and screaming and yelling and belittling and the types of things that will tear down that love and connection. So you are putting in place a very important piece of parenting. They know they're loved and cared for and supported. Even in the moment, they might be struggling and then we reconnect after. We can let them struggle and then we reconnect after. So I'm going to give an example of what I just dealt with actually just yesterday with my daughter. So my daughter is, I don't know if I've talked about this. I think I did mention it in a couple podcasts ago, but we went to her 10-year appointment, which she turned 10 in November, but I finally, with the move and the pandemic, got around to this and found out that she is mid-puberty at 10 years old, which is not uncommon these days, but puberty is hitting early. Um, so we are dealing with puberty. There are the emotional pieces. There are the, um, you know, hormones and the emotions that are big right now, but there's some struggle with that. She really is struggling with sharing her feelings appropriately. There's some attitude. There's some, let's just say attitude, <laughs> you know, just a little bit of the snotty tone, not a little, a lot of the snotty tone coming through and we're having to work with that. So there's a lot of kind of impulsive things coming out right now with not a lot. There's a few where she's, if she doesn't want to do something or she's upset, it just comes out very impulsively. So I asked her yesterday to get ready for swim practice and she says, I don't want to go. Well, that's not okay to do right before swim practice. If this is something you really don't want to do, it's something we talk about and plan for because we're not just going to be like, I just paid for May and now you tell me five minutes before swim practice, you want to you don't want to go and you just don't like it. So this has happened before where she's like, I just don't want to go today. But, you know, what's happening is we're in the middle of a pandemic. So this is me as the parent looking at this situation. We're in the middle of the pandemic. 
well, actually, I don't think we're in the middle. I think we're getting towards the end. But anyway, she's been schooling from home for a year plus. We just moved. She is in her bed all day long for the most part. You know, she's on her iPad in school all morning until about one o'clock in the afternoon. And then she gets online with her friends. And so she's been sitting around, laying around. And so, you know, it's kind of zaps our energy when we do that. So to think about putting on a swimsuit, driving to practice, you know, getting in there and working hard for an hour doesn't sound very fun. So I get that. She's 10 years old. She's in puberty. So she's emotional. She's moody. And it's just not fun. So I get it. So my job now as the parent is to put my foot down and help my daughter get some exercise today and get her because she needs that for her hormones and for her moods. Like this is just something that's important. Now, if this is a long-term thing where she really doesn't want to swim, we can talk about that and we can change that, but it can't be done in this way at this time. It doesn't work. So I now have to help her move forward towards swim practice and also help her understand how to bring this up in a way. If this is real, if she's serious about it, really doesn't want to do it, that she's serious about it, how we're going to talk about it and move forward with it. Because my feeling is that, you know, it's an impulsive reaction. I just don't feel like doing this right now. I've been laying around all day. All I want to do is continue to lay around. And we all get that. I get that way. You know, if I've been just sitting around all day, whether I've been working all day or I've been relaxing and now it's time to get my body going, I don't feel like it either. So I know that feeling. And my gut feeling as a as an adult and as a parent is that that's what's happening here. And so I need to get her moving to remind her that it actually does feel good and it's not as hard as she's thinking it is in her head. So she has given me a real attitude the whole way to practice. I'm like trying to have a conversation. I'm talking about, we're doing a trip, just the two of us, we're doing a girl's trip that I'm, you know, so I'm trying to talk about that and just have a nice, pleasant conversation. And she's just got that teen, sour, grumpy face going on. And so I ask, what's wrong? I don't want to go to swim. Anyway, so this is what I'm dealing with. So there's this guilt. I have some guilt about forcing her to do this. I don't want them to be miserable. I don't want to make them do something that makes them miserable. But I also know from my standpoint that I do feel like this is really the best thing for her. So I have to work her through this. Now, we did work through it. It did escalate once we got to practice and then came back down. And I did have to pull out some consequences, which I don't didn't like doing. And I told her that. I said, I don't want to do this. I don't want to be this hard-nosed. I don't like to be like this, but I feel like this is really important for you to do today. I explained the whole thing about her laying in bed all day and not feeling like, um, you know, now getting out and moving her body, that I understand that that's hard. And we worked our way through all of that. And we came up with an agreement and I said, listen, I just paid for May. So if you really are serious about leaving swim, we can do that. We can move to a different sport. That is fine. But we need some time to plan for it. I already paid for May. I need you to stick it out through May. And then we'll talk about something else. But I said, I want you to go to practice today and I want you give, to give it some time. She's making friends at practice. It's an, it's an outlet, a social outlet for her. It's the only one she has right now. So we need a plan to move into something else so that she can have a social outlet in something else. And I watched her swim. I got to tell you guys, I watched her swim. This girl is a natural swimmer. She's really good. She's got beautiful strokes. She just, she looks so natural in the pool. And if she really wants to quit, it is up to her. I'm not going to force her to do it. I don't want her to be unhappy. And I don't want it to be a battle again and again. 
but it has to be done in a particular way. So anyway, after all of this, after she went to practice, you know, we got home and we talked about it some more and I did explain everything to her. We worked our way through it and I, and I gave her a hug. I told her that I don't like to be like that. That isn't, you know, it's not fun for me. And I did explain to her that it is because I love her. It's because I want the best for her. It is because sometimes parents need to help their kids get over some of these humps and push through some of this stuff. And that it is all done out of love. And, you know, and I said, are you still mad? Well, before we even had that part of the talk, I'm like, are you still mad at your mom? And she said, no. And I said, okay, good. And then I explained, it's like, I love you. It's I love you. And I need to help you sometimes make those tough decisions or do those things that as a kid, you just are more inclined to just give up or quit. And I'm just, I can't let you do that in that way. It's something we have to work through and really sit down and think through and talk about not five minutes before swim, but on a day that's not a swim day or early in the morning. I'm just not enjoying this. I want to look into doing something else. And we can have a conversation like with that, that way. All right. I hope that was helpful. If you have teens, I understand your pain. If you don't have them yet, um, I'll have lots of tips for you because I'm right in the middle of it. Okay, um, some classes to recommend. If you do have teens, we do have the discipline tools for tweens and teens. Very great class. Lots of stuff you're going to dealing with in tweens and teens. But um, raising responsible kids, parenting through divorce, and then of course all of the other sixty plus parenting classes, including our new one, mindfulness for kids, at the website yourvillageonline.com. If you have a parenting question you'd like answered, send an email to podcast at yourvillageonline.com. Thanks for listening and see you next week.